Good morning, Living Water. My name is Tyler. I am the student ministry director here, and it is my pleasure to be here today and getting to um, look at this passage of scripture that we're going to be diving into here in a minute. Uh, but before I get started with that, I want to introduce myself. Some of you guys might not know me. Some of you guys do know me. But for those of you that don't, um, I grew up here in Pennsylvania, but on the west side of the state, just south of Pittsburgh in a little farming town. Interestingly enough, if you guys know Evan, um, he's, uh, he's up here to preach every so often. Uh, me and him actually grew up together. We grew up at the same church since preschool. We went to college together. Uh, there's really weird family connections as far back as like my grandfather bought uh, the farm that he had off of like his great-great-uncle. So uh, I've got to know him for basically my entire life, but a little bit about myself. So I, growing up in Pittsburgh, have a deep love of sports, but contrary to what you would think, I am not a big Steelers fan. I'm actually a huge Cowboys fan. That might make me the most unpopular person in the room, but I'm okay with that, you know? I'm, I'm okay with that. I have a bunch of other interests, you know, I'm a huge nerd, love Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, all that sort of stuff. And that love of sci-fi and fantasy really started off very young in my life uh, with some toys that I had from uh, about six years old and onward, where I had this growing collection of a toy called Transformers. Now, does anybody in the room have any Transformers? Anybody, any of the kids in here? I know it's a little bit old school now, but they were really popular all the way from like the 90s until the last decade. So I would bet some of you guys have them. But I absolutely loved these toys. And for, for those of you that don't know what they are, they're this toy brand and they have not just toys, but also movies and books and comics, video games. And the idea is that they're these robots that disguise themselves as really anything mechanical, helicopters, tanks, cars. And you can transform them, and they're, they're really cool, especially, you know, as a young kid, this idea of being able to be driving around like a race car, and then it turns into a robot that fights other robots is just awesome. <laughs> so needless to say, I loved these toys. And I would play with them for hours and hours at a time, and sometimes I'd have my friends come over and we'd play with our Transformers together, fighting them against each other. Well, then maybe around second or third grade, as I'm growing this collection, my parents got me this new set of Transformers. And while the normal ones are about that tall whenever you make them into their robots, these ones were really small. They're called Minicons. And what the cool thing was about these is you could take three of them and you could make them into a sword that one of the bigger Transformers could wield. And you know, seven or eight-year-old me just thought that was about the coolest thing that could ever happen. That I could make some of my toys into a weapon for the other ones to use. So, you know, obviously, you know, I, I play with these toys with my friends, and I wanted to show my friends this cool new toy I got. So you might, you might ask me, well, when were you going to show this to your friends? And my little seven or eight-year-old brain thought the best time would be the next time I saw my friends. And if you were asking me when that was going to be, you know, I'm getting this toy on a Friday or a Saturday, I can't exactly remember when, the next time I'm seeing my friends is that Sunday at church during Sunday school. 
So many of the parents in the room can probably guess what my parents said when I went to them and I said, hey mom, dad, I know you just got me this toy, but could I take my minicons to church? Like many of you can imagine, and my parents being the, the reasonable good parents they were, they crushed my spirits and said no. <laughs> now, some of the kids in the room, what, what would you have done if your parents told you no? You would have probably been a good kid and listened. You would have probably said, okay, well, I'll just wait until next week. Maybe I'll have some friends over. But unfortunately... That is not what I did. I hatched a plan. Almost immediately, I was like, okay, well, I kind of, my, my parents would dress me, because I, you know, I was still pretty young, in these cargo shorts that had these big pockets. And I was like, I'll just slip my minicons in my pockets, and no one will ever know. So I get dressed, and I say, I need to use the restroom, and I go back to the bathroom, and I slipped my minicons in my pockets, and I thought I had a foolproof plan. And I walk out, and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was, maybe I was acting kind of fishy, you know, shifting around, really nervous. Maybe it was the fact that, you know, I didn't have a phone, I didn't have anything that would go in my pockets at seven or eight years old. So maybe it was the fact that there were these little bulges in my pockets and that I was keeping my hands in there, just trying to obscure them. But very quickly, my parents realized what I was doing. And that they took my transformers from me. And because I did this, there was a consequence. You know, many of you guys know, or whether it's parents, you've had to discipline your kids before, or kids, you may have done something and gotten in trouble for it, and there were consequences. Well, at my age, I thought the consequences were pretty steep. I ended up losing my Transformers for over a month. Because um, I'd asked them multiple times. They told me no, and I still chose to go against it. But this taught me something really important, even though I was absolutely devastated at the time. That our, that our choices have a cost. All choices have a cost. Now, some choices have a very small cost, right? Admittedly, I don't know how many things have a small cost anymore as prices keep going up, but some things do have a small cost. You know, you might choose to go on a walk, right? You know, going on a walk actually gains you quite a bit. You get to enjoy the fresh air, you get to, to be outside, it's good for your health, and it really only takes a little bit of time. That's a decision a lot of you guys, and myself included, probably make every single day. Some decisions make us a, a, cost us as a consequence, right? How many kids in this room or adults have ever, you know, done something small, maybe like myself, trying to sneak Transformers into church, and you get in trouble for it? There's a consequence associated with that. Other choices have very large costs, whether that's in money or consequences. You know, buying a house can be a very costly thing, but a lot of people would say, hey, that's worth it. When I was in high school, I got my first job cleaning horse stalls, and I saved up all that money for months. It seemed like months. It was probably only a couple months. And I bought a new PlayStation with it. And I thought that was worth it. That was a good exchange 
But other things we would say, hey, this was not worth the cost. You know, maybe you've made a decision that cost you a friend. You've done something you weren't supposed to, cheated on a test in school, and you ended up failing because of it. Our actions have costs. So today, we're going to look at a couple passages, read a passage, and look at a couple very interesting people in the Bible that I think we tend to pass over. And in this, we're going to look at their choices and what it cost them. And ultimately, why they thought the cost was worth it. Our focus today is on Joseph of Arimathea and another man named Nicodemus. So let's stand up as we read God's word, as we read John 19, 38 through 42. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of the linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the, garden, a new at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. You may be seated. So I admit, this is a passage of Scripture that when I read the Gospels, I pass over all the time without giving it a second glance. But as I studied this passage, passage and prepared for this week, I was blown away by what I saw. There, there were some things here that I think we all need to learn. So I have three points that I want your guys' help in making today. And whenever I say one of the key words from each of these three points, I want every kid and student and adult in this room to help me make that point with three prompts. So my points are that choosing Jesus can cost you popularity, that choosing Jesus can cost you time, and that choosing Jesus can cost you money. So to help make my point, every time I say the word popularity, I want everyone to, to go woo and clap their hands, okay? So you're going to cheer, you know, like you might for someone who's popular, whether that's a musician, an athlete, or another famous person. So let's try it. Well, sorry. <laughs> so let's try it. Following Jesus can cost you popularity. Okay. Very good. The next thing that following Jesus can cost is your time. So anytime I say the word time, I want you to point at your wrist like you have a watch and go tick-tock, tick-tock. Okay. So it's time for our last of our three, which is that following Jesus can sometimes cost you money. And anytime I say the word money, I want you to all go cha-ching. Okay, so you got it. So popularity, time, money. There we go. So let's dive on in. Many of us are very familiar with the story of the crucifixion and of, of ultimately of the resurrection, but often we seem to run past the burial of Jesus without giving it a second thought. In the lead up to the crucifixion, we see that all the seeming popularity, 
that Jesus had wasn't actually commitment to him. Sure, a lot of people had spent a lot of time and maybe even given money to follow him, but when he was arrested, they scatter. Almost everyone abandons him and is probably looking, and it probably looks to everyone like they're watching the end of this story. Like maybe Jesus really isn't the Messiah. Maybe he was just some popular preacher that the Romans killed. But after he's resurrected, we see that sadness turn to rejoicing. Everything ends up coming together that no, Jesus really was the Messiah. He really died for our sins, rose again, so that we might have life in, new life in him and eternity with him. But something really interesting happens here in the midst of it. We see some of the most unlikely figures take center stage. We see Joseph and Nicodemus. So who are Joseph and Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus was introduced earlier in John 3, right? The, the passage we just read said that he was the one who had come earlier to Jesus. We also learned that he was a Pharisee and that he had been kind of afraid of following Jesus openly. But you see, despite Jesus' popularity with the crowds, but despite the fact that the people liked him, the people in charge didn't. And because of that, Nicodemus was afraid. Similarly, we now have Joseph. And we learn a few things about him from the other Gospels and from John. You know, John tells us that he was a disciple of Jesus in secret, while the other Gospels tell us that he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he was in charge, and also that he was rich. Now, if you ask me, this seems like the absolute weirdest time to start following Jesus openly. (laughs) Almost had you there. The crowds had deserted him. He was hanging dead on on the cross, and now they're going to start supporting him openly? You know, this is like finally buying an Eagles jersey after the Super Bowl. Like, they lost. You can't change it. Or, you know, it's like me. Maybe you're a Cowboys fan. You know, they haven't been good since they won the Super Bowl in 96. You know, me... Growing up in Pittsburgh, being a Cowboys fan, seems to make absolutely no sense. Why, growing up in the early 2000s, would I have possibly chose to be a Cowboys fan? And you know, as a Cowboys fan, there's at least a chance, right, that that they might end up being good, that they might end up winning the Super Bowl. But when they looked at Jesus here, he was dead. And that was when they chose to follow him openly. Let me tell you, I don't have nearly the faith in my cowboys as Joseph and Nicodemus showed they had in Jesus. So it's around here where we really start to see what their faith is going to cost them. Our verses start off by saying that Joseph went and asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Guys, that's not a small thing. Keep in mind, Nicodemus and Joseph They both have a lot of popularity already. And there isn't anything private about what they're doing in going to Pilate. Right? Jesus is still on the cross. The public is watching. All eyes are on Jesus' body. And when it makes no sense, 
or when it makes sense to stay away, they say, no, we're going to choose Jesus. You know, this would get them no friends. Let's remember, at this point, everyone had abandoned Jesus. This can only cost them. And yet they chose to do it anyway. They chose to follow Jesus when it would only cost them their popularity and risked all the status that they had. I really wonder how many of us are willing to risk the littlest bit of popularity to follow Jesus openly. And you know, this isn't just about you know, kids in school either, right? You know, when we think about popularity, we think about middle school and high school, right? But we don't think about the fact that, you know, popularity is still very much a thing. Thank you. You guys are staying with it. I need that. I appreciate that. Popularity is still very much a thing for people at work. I'm sure a lot of the adults in the room have felt the tension that can exist in the workplace or with your neighbors when you choose to follow Jesus openly. Kids, I, I, I would encourage you to ask your parents about that. Ask what, what it's cost them to follow Jesus openly. Have that conversation. That can be a real encouragement as you're struggling with the same thing at school. This could even cause tension with your own family members. You know, when one person in your family chooses to follow Jesus openly and take him seriously, that can cause tension. Guys, it might cause tension with your brothers or sisters. It might cause tension with aunts or uncles. It might cause tension with parents. Choosing to follow Jesus can be, very, can be costly. But whether it's people at school who think it's weird to follow Jesus and actually you know, take seriously what he's said, or whether it's people at work who are saying, hey, leave all that Jesus stuff at the door. Following Jesus will cost us popularity. The next thing that following Jesus can cost us is our time. Now, this one might be the simplest to explain because all of us know that everything we do costs us time. Right, from the simplest action to the largest actions, no matter how much it is, everything takes some amount of our schedule. <laughs> Gotta find a workaround. Joseph and Nicodemus going out of their way to bury Jesus is no different. Most people wouldn't bother to bury a crucified man, right? But J Joseph and Nicodemus are so convinced of their actions that what they're doing is right, that they do it anyway. Now, I don't think this is any small thing, right? This isn't just any night. We need to keep in mind when this is all happening, right? Passover has just happened. This is a very busy week. There are still other things to do in the week following. This is like their Christmas for them. They probably had a lot of stuff to do and a lot of places to go. You know, maybe Nicodemus and Joseph had their mom or dad standing at the door, tapping their foot, waiting for them to get home for dinner. They're looking at the sundial on the wall, saying, look at the time, the Sabbath's almost here. You guys got it. But they chose to follow Jesus even when they were busy. That can be really hard to do. I know in my own life how easy it can be that when I get busy, the first thing to go is my quiet time with the Lord. 
But the crazy thing is that not spending that amount of my day with God only costs me in that relationship with him. How many of you guys know that when you're not spending time with the people that you love, that, can hurt, that, that, that hurts the relationship? But the crazier thing is that it's not just when I'm busy that I can choose to sacrifice spending time with God. It's also when I'm not. We often don't choose to follow Jesus even when we aren't busy and when it's only going to cost our relationship with him. Joseph and Nicodemus are choosing to follow when they're busy, when time is short, and when it costs them far, far more. The last thing that we see that following Jesus can cost and that it cost Joseph and Nicodemus was their money. We read in verse 39 and 40 that Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. So a lot of times when we read the Bible, it's very easy to miss significance because, you know, we don't live in Bible times. Thank you. But as I researched this, what I found was that a normal Jewish burial used about five pounds of aloe and spices. But they used 75 pounds. First of all, let's picture that. Right? Let's, let's make sure we, we, we really see what that would be. This goes back to those first two points about what else following Jesus can cost us, time and popularity? <laughs> what they're now doing isn't subtle. It's in front of everybody. They have to bring 75 pounds of this mixture. Picture going to the grocery store and getting the biggest bag of dog food. I think those big, the big bags weigh like 40 pounds. So imagine like two of those. Like, that is not a small thing. That is not a subtle thing that you can just sneak past. What they're now doing isn't subtle. They're going to give Jesus a kingly burial. Because that's exactly what that would be and what that would call for to bury a king. And now, this would be absolutely crazy to the people watching, right? You know, they might be saying things like, why are they even bothering to bury Jesus? Don't they know what he's been accused of? You know, don't they know what time it is? But then they bring out the spices and the people absolutely lose their minds. You know, first Pilate put up that sign saying Jesus is king of the Jews. And now these two Jewish leaders have the audacity to bury him like a king. They dare bury him like a king. In case this isn't clear, the best sources I could find said that these spices would have cost around $200,000 in today's money. No matter how rich you are, that's a lot. That's a lot of transformers. I would have liked to be able to spend that on my collection when I was seven or eight. Joseph and Nicodemus were burying their king, and they were going to do it right. Now, this obviously isn't talking about regular giving, right? 
Jesus only died once. This is a very unique circumstance. But we still need to ask the question, are we okay if following Jesus ends up costing us financially? If it ends up costing us our money? This was really difficult for me growing up. So I didn't grow up going to church every week. It wasn't until later where I, where I, God kind of got a hold of me and I gave my life to him. But this really challenged me around 10th grade when my youth pastor started talking to me about giving as I had my first job. And I reacted very poorly to it at first. You know, the idea of giving of my time and, mo- my, my time and money immediately had this reaction in me that was really nasty and mean. And I started asking questions like, why, why does God need this for me? Like, I'm the one who earned it. Why, why should I give it to him? That's not a good reaction. It made me irrationally upset. Like, why am I supposed to give any of this to God when he doesn't need it? Guys, that's not a good place to be in your conscience about giving. Those are dangerous roads to walk. You know, that's why I think learning at any age to give is so important. You know, down in children's ministry, we support our missionary of the month. Down in student ministry, we have our monthly offering. You know, my parents really early, after I got serious about my faith, were big on even just giving me a dollar to throw in that that I had to earn each week. And I didn't want to do that. And once I really had that job and had income, trying to to fight to give was a challenge for me. And like I said, obviously, this isn't about regular giving. And more importantly, it obviously doesn't cost money to be a Christian. We need to be very clear on that. We're saved by grace through faith. All the money in the world couldn't buy forgiveness for a single person. But I do think Scripture makes it clear that how we feel about our money matters. So let's read Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Guys, this is a heart check. If we love money, we'll never have enough of it. And that doesn't mean that we should give out of guilt, right? 2 Corinthians makes that very clear but it does mean we should go to God and ask him to move our hearts to value things properly. In the actions of Joseph and Nicodemus, we see a remarkable willingness to sacrifice to follow Jesus. You know, it brings to mind the words of Jesus in Luke 14 when he says to count the costs of being a disciple. Right? He, he has a big crowd following and picture that. There's Hundreds of people following him. Kids, I, I, I know if I were you, I still don't like hundreds of people looking at me. He had hundreds of people following him. And what he does, instead of saying, great, get in line, stick with me, he says, hey, figure out if this is really what you want to do. Is this really worth it to you? 
Nicodemus and Joseph counted those costs. And they thought it was worth it. Despite the money, the time, and the popularity that it cost them, they chose to follow Jesus. So what does it look like in your life to follow Jesus? What does it cost you? It'll cost us all many things, from friends at school or work. It could cost us jobs, you know, if a job is asking you to do something immoral. Kids, I would challenge you, if the first time a boss asks you to do anything that doesn't feel right or okay, like, you need to check that. You need to, to, to listen to your conscience. It could cost you any number of things. Choosing to follow Jesus and being serious about that can be hard. It takes commitment and discipline and a willingness to say no to things we might have wanted to do otherwise. You know, when we add it all up, the cost actually might seem pretty high. But we see in Christ someone that is worth it. Someone that is worth the cost to follow and commit our lives to. We see God himself who came down and died on the cross because of his love for us. We see God himself who rose from the dead and is now with the Father in heaven. And we have the opportunity to choose to follow him like Joseph and Nicodemus did. So what does that look like for you? We had some of the students up here at the beginning that went on our mission trips. They sacrificed a lot. You know, yeah, they, they served for that week. They, they chose to follow Jesus, but they didn't just sacrifice during the week they were there. You know, they gave hours of their time in our monthly meetings preparing for that trip. They spent hours of hard work working at many of y'all's houses, helping mow grass and clean up and maybe whatever tasks you guys had given them. They gave of their money and missed other opportunities that they probably wished they could have gone to because they valued what they were doing more. Joseph and Nicodemus chose to follow Jesus and they thought it was worth that cost, just like our students did. So what are the things that you're choosing over following Jesus? Are you choosing popularity at school or work? over living out your faith in that part of your life? Are you choosing to not follow Jesus because of your time? And are you putting more focus on earthly things that are good and enjoyable, but should never be made the main thing? Parents, your kids see that, and they're going to learn to prioritize things the same way you are. Or is your heart far from God in how you spend your money? Is the idea of giving some of what you get painful? Or does it make you angry that you might not be able to get a new toy or a game that you get with your allowance? Whatever it is, I would challenge you to look at Jesus, count the costs, and choose to follow him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for choosing us far before we could ever choose to follow you. God, thank you for loving us and sacrificing for us. Lord, I pray you would move our hearts to follow and pursue you.
Lord, be with us through this day and throughout our week as we seek to put this into practice and choose you over the other things in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.